0: Welcome to Man Reads Monday, I am Aaron Ventura, he is Jacob Rush, let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Today
1: we are finishing up Rory Grove's durable trades, family-centered economies that have stood the
0: test of time, and we're done. Yeah, so this is the final episode, and I've enjoyed mm. uh, going through this book, I, I so I kind of read it all in one sitting around mm. Christmas time, and then going back and... Uh, reading through it again and then uh, so w- we're discussing the honorable mentions right because there were 60 durable yeah. trades 61. 61 yeah uh, i got confused because of the
1: yep <laughs> the <Yeah>. numbering system <laughs> 61 durable trades yeah. one through 20 were kind of the featured highlighted ones and then the other 41 yeah were sort of and, and they're ranked, too, so yeah. it, it's not just randomly, so it's kind yeah, of goes from most durable to least.
0: Yeah, so the top 20 were those most durable ones, which we took five at a time, and then now we're just doing a kind of... Uh, so we each picked three, I don't know if they are even considered favorites, but things that we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. and we've not yet spoken. We don't know what it is. Of of which ones we have chosen. Of so, <laughs> which So. Why don't you reveal your three first? Okay, and then I'll three. reveal my three. Okay, and we'll see if there's overlap, and then we'll just walk through. Okay, uh, each of them, whatever we want wanted to say. about yeah, them. Okay, so, so what were your? I'm kind of nervous that we picked the same ones. Uh, okay, so my three were kay. baker, okay, publisher, okay, shipwright. Wow, the shipwright. I I forget about that one. Yeah, that's the, someone who makes a ship. Yeah, Or makes boats? Yeah, he okay. just makes ships. So here's mine. Okay. The barber. Mm. The publisher. <laughs> and the physician. Okay. Uh, and, and I sh- should also just mention what is funny to me that the final, the 61st trade in here is tax collector. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he squeaked on. Huh. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I guess that's pretty durable because <laughs> if someone's got to collect taxes, somebody. I, I recently watched. Uh, Stranger than fiction,
1: huh. I which I had never,
0: never seen before, but uh, Nate Wilson had that, recommended it to me. Is that a rom com? Uh, I don't think it's considered a rom com. So okay. it is. Uh, it's Will Ferrell and then some other like. Fa- oh, oh 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 yeah, yeah, the author like yeah, and so she's, she's like writing. writing his. I've seen his that story. It is good. Yeah. Um, wait, why did I think? It, oh oh oh, because ah. he's an IRS man. Oh, so, okay. so he's a he's a tax collector guy uh, so that that's what made me think of it and in there he's like this hated guy he goes around doing yeah. audits and so if you want that to be your life I suppose it's it's a durable trade, but um, so so we both chose publisher, so we we'll did. have something to talk about there. So yeah. uh, why don't you talk about the first one, the baker? Mm.
1: So the baker, it's actually the next one. It, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't like, being uh, lazy. Okay. <laughs> <yeah>. Baker, no. <laughs> Low so, hanging fruit here. <laughs> no, it was interesting to me. So my fiance Jane does a ton of baking. She's yeah. been baking since she was a kid, um, and it's just incredible. And there's one of the things that strikes me about baking is it is kind of connected to that very primary level of going from the earth to culture. Yeah. Right? We we uh, we haven't talked about it on this podcast but you know one of the interesting insights about the Lord's Supper is how bread and wine are cultural artifacts. Yeah. Right? Bread doesn't just happen. Yeah. It doesn't come off the tree. And grapes, uh, well and grapes <laughs> and wine is made from grapes but fermented. Yeah. And yeah. there's a process, there's a culturation that happens. And Baker gets to kind of play this unique role in this where you're you're turning something mm-hmm. into this. You're glorifying creation and yeah. turning it into something tasty. Yeah. Right? Bread, sourdough, cookies, cake you know, donuts, like th- it, it just goes on forever and ever. There's so many things you can do with bread. Um, insofar as so he talks about the historical stability of a baker, mm-hmm. 88%. Yeah. People going to eat bread. Yeah. Everyone needs bread. Yeah. Right. It's like the most basic food. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, everyone, um, you know, in the same way that food, uh, that professions that have to deal with food, yeah. um, baker kind of you get from the basic provision mm-hmm. aspect of it, but you also get to the celebration aspect, right? A wedding cake. There, there's it, it covers this whole range of human activity from the most mundane to the to the very special to the feast.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the pyramid: so primary, secondary, tertiary, mm-hmm. quaternary, or whatever quaternary. the fourth is. Right. And and if you are wondering, okay, where does the baker fit in there? Well, if you were someone who had a garden, or you know was growing your own grain. You could essentially be both primary and be someone who's bringing it all the way to the consumer's mouth, which which is rare that there's anything in life that you can say you were involved with every step Mm. of the process. And food is one of those rare things that if you grow your own food and then cook it or you figure out how to to use it. It Mm. is one of the last places, I think, uh, that you get to experience that some miracle thing went into the ground. God mm. made it grow. It turned into something completely different. You know, Paul uses that as the analogy for the resurrection. Goes into the ground, comes out this other thing. Mm. And, it, and it, as you said, it's glorified. And then humans do something with it. And it, it's a going from glory to glory. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things about all of the food um, mm. kind of traits. Yeah. anything else on on Baker?
1: Mm, well, can, can you make money? Yeah, well, I think whether you make money, he doesn't go into it very much. <laughs> it scores about a 60% on income okay. because obviously the guy who bakes for Panera bread, yeah. you know, in the back is not going to make as money, much money as somebody who owns their own bakery shop or their kind of bougie aesthetically instagrammable yeah. um, you know, donut shop or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. so growing up, so my dad for 30, I think 30 years which is as old as I am, I'm 31, mm. he uh, delivered bread. He drove a bread truck for uh, what's called Gay's Bakery. I think it became Franz Bakery or something. And for 30 years, would wow. he, he was the bread delivery guy. And he would just... He, uh, occasionally, he would take me. I would get to go with him and ride in the bread truck. Mm. Although he got up at 3.30 in the morning, which is just insane to me, because yeah. I don't know how you do that. Um, but he would... Uh, Pretty much get all the bread from the bakery, so they're baking it there, and then he, his whole job was delivering it to um, a lot of restaurants or fast food places that, you know, you got you need those buns for your burger at McDonald's. Someone's gotta deliver them. So, anyways, that was was his job. So I was always uh, spoiled because my dad could bring home uh, products for free all the time. You know, stuff that was either like. They, because ha- they have to pull the bread. It's amazing how much they it waste happens. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Because it goes on there. They have to pull it because. What do you and I do when we go to the grocery store? I look for the freshest thing that's there. Yeah. That has the farthest expiration date, and so they got to pull all this stuff, and then yeah, he would he would bring bring it home.
1: Yeah. But interesting enough, employment for bakers will increase f- slightly faster than average at six percent. Okay, well so, that's good. Promise. Um, All okay, right, what's your number one?
0: Yeah, so, so, well, I didn't put these in any specific right. order except the order that they come up in the book. So the Same. first one was the barber. And, and this one actually, so one of the reasons why it stood out to me is uh, this is actually, he says, the fastest growing profession in the U.S., which is really kind of surprising. I don't know if uh, that's the case now with COVID or how many DIY mm. haircut places are, but I've noticed just in Moscow in the yeah. last six months, last year, there's been a bunch of, I drive past this place that says beer and haircut, $20. Have you or been? Something. No, Did I've you never go? been there. I've been tempted. It's <laughs> <Okay, laughs> yeah. 20 bucks, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not tempted by beer and haircut. I just want a good haircut. Right. Uh, I, 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 I'm I, always a little suspicious when someone's trying to give me something extra with it. I'm like, does that mean you, <laughs> the haircut Forget is so bad <laughs> I need to not be able to <laughs> remember it? <right. laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you can't get a haircut on the internet. No. Uh, Many people have tried to do it themselves, and it doesn't go so well at times. There's so much you can do to your own hair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My older sister used to cut my hair growing up, so she mainly did, like, girls' hair for dances and stuff like that. But she had just some clippers, and I just just needed, like, a buzz cut. So she just buzzed my hair, and so it saved me money. But I made the mistake of getting my hair cut early in the morning one time before I had to, like, go—I don't know where I was going— uh, and I was in I was in high school. It's was probably like a junior in high school or something. And my older sister accidentally cut off, shaved off half of my eyebrow. Oh, no. And you didn't yeah, know? Yeah, right here. Well, what? I knew af- oh. when it well, happened. Oh, okay, I, I catch felt you. it. <laughs> but she was, you know, just kind of got a little careless. She was early in the morning and buzzed off half my eyebrow. And I'm in high school, which is like... Oh, that's the worst time to... Yeah. It's you like care a, a lot. Yeah. So I wore a hat like a funny hat tilted to kind of cover <laughs> it but let me tell you that was a very embar- probably one of the most probably the most embarrassing time in my whole life wow was that and and that is the last time uh, she cut my hair and I started finding uh, barber. a barber and, and I just have to say not all barbers are made the same no because you can go to your great clips and you're just like Rolling the dice, you don't know. Yeah, sometimes there's some great, great clips, you know, stylus.
1: and sometimes you're like,
0: yeah, yeah I mean, they hire it was, anybody. It was ten dollars or twelve dollars or whatever it. Is. I forget what it is now, yeah. but it was super cheap back back in the day. And depending on what you need done, uh, they can really screw it up, and you can't like undo certain ha- certain <laughs> haircuts. Uh, so, uh, so I, uh, since I've been in Moscow, I've only gone to one barber. So for the last, I guess, four or five years, mm. same same guy. And he is definitely the most skilled barber mm. I've ever uh, been to. And so I've appreciated it uh, all the more as I, as I was going through this. Everyone needs a good good barber.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing, the interesting thing to me, you said there's a bunch of barbershops <laughs> popping up. And from what I can tell, they're all booked. So the guy that I go to, uh, Tyler, Yeah. Um, on whatever, by the floor shop or whatever, you know, I asked him cause obviously COVID brought his business down at least initially, but for probably the last six months, he's just been booked solid. Oh yeah. Just like, there's no, no, um, idle time. So they're. People need their haircut.
0: Yeah. And this is one of those things where the barrier to entry is actually extremely low if you just have the chops and practice and do this. I mean, I plan on cutting my kids' hair. So who knows? Maybe on the side, I'll become a little barber. But AV so barber. Ch- so, yeah. So, check this out. So, my barber, he's booked out normally at least a week, mm. uh, but he's not open like nine to five or something. So, th- the cool thing is, he picks his own hours. And he only—I think he starts at like noon and goes mm-hmm. from like noon to five or noon to seven. But and he has a few breaks in there. Mm-hmm. And and I think he charges like twenty-five for a, for a haircut, which is on the more expensive side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say he is—he's—he's he's worth. It It used to be like twenty, but he has you know a, a little punch car that you'll get discounts and stuff mm-hmm. on. So mm-hmm. it's not too bad. And then often a lot of people will tip tip their barbers. Um, I may, yeah, maybe maybe some more. So so let's just say. Uh, on average, he's making like tw- 25. So that's a, at least. Um, but let's say he's getting tips on top of that. You got to pay taxes and all that. So he cuts pretty much eight people's hair a day because I can see on his little sheet, he's got people booked out. And that would be 200 bucks a day, which was like, that's pretty good. And, and he's not even working like necessarily like a full workday. It's it's almost kind of like a side mm-hmm. uh, thing. So uh, if, you ju- if you just ran the numbers, and, and this is someone who's booked out a week because, I don't know, there's a shortage of good people in town. I don't know. But I think this is something that if you had good people skills, good business management skills, and the ability to uh, cut hair, this is one of those things where you could totally pick your own. Uh, yeah. Hours and stuff. My my wife actually just uh, had her hair kind of like cut and done by this lady who has a home uh, salon. So all these people with these COVID, you know COVID restrictions, if by the by the government or by your city, well, if you have it in your home and it's just like a cash business, yeah. Um, I mean, boom. That's that's a pretty good side hustle. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. So
1: get some clippers.
0: Yeah. Okay. The next one we both. We both have, and this is the publisher. So tell me first, why did you choose this one?
1: Well, I think, honestly, I picked it kind of expecting you to pick it as well. Uh, Oh. (laughs) Oh. uh, You anticipated. uh, I did anticipate. No, but I think also, too, um, it is one of those unique industries that has changed a lot, especially in the last five, ten years Yeah, with, you know, eBooks and online articles, you know, online journals and websites and that sort of thing. Um, but it's also the case like, you know, you can go back historically, publishing looked a lot different in, yeah. let's say Jesus's day than it did in the 1500s and then yeah. than it is now. And so because of that, I think it has the unique, if you're interested in, in books, and if you've got which we
0: are which that's what this whole podcast
1: right, is. which we qualify right yeah. if you're interested and um, you have particular niche interests right um, and you ha- and if you wanted to to do something and i think um, that it, it contributes positive value to a culture. I think that's one of the reasons that public publisher interests me because books have ideas, and ideas they shape the world. They steer cultures. They're they're important, yeah. which is why you they know, have
0: consequences. As well. Ideas yeah. indeed
1: have consequences, but which is why I mean, there's a lot of bad books out. Yeah, there's a lot of garbage books. There's a lot of bad publishers. Yeah. Um, but if you imagine what you okay. could do if you had good Christian publishers who are not just publishing new material but also recovering the old. That's uh, a lot of what um, the Davenant Institute's work with, like Richard Hooker, say, yeah. is taking- Modernizing. Yeah, modernizing. Um, and so if you've got even different language skills, you are now able and equipped to to bring positive value, not only to the marketplace, but also to society. Yeah. So I, there's that aspect, aspect of it that I think is really cool.
0: Yeah. So I own a uh, publishing company. Called books by Jove. So See, I, 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 did, have, I didn't want to reveal <laughs> it, so that that was I didn't want to say. Oh,
1: and also, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, So
0: yeah. So uh, so I have like a, my wife and I own this LLC, and I've uh, been chipping away at it on the side. So I've I've basically run all the numbers. I know what costs are. I've been sourcing materials, uh, and here's basically what drew me to it. It was very similar to what you mm. have. So uh, for one, so I I write, but I I like nice hard copy books and there's certain books that like I would want to order that if it was in a very nice high quality binding that was tactile and, and nice to look at like I want books like I want my bookshelves to last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. All right, I want those solid wood bookshelves. Somebody, somebody, make me those. Uh, <laughs> it's
1: my birthday. <laughs> yeah, and
0: and uh, one of the things that really inspired me was Bibliotheca. So this yeah. this was a Kickstarter campaign. I don't know how many years ago now, but I was one of the like people who had bought into this before it even had hit its goal, um, and then it ended up being one of the most successful like Kickstarter, GoFundmes, whatever um, at yeah. the time. And it ended up taking, like, years for him to actually finally deliver the final product. But it is the nicest, most beautiful books that I own. Mm. And it's uh, it's well worth it. So, like, I I buy books, you know, all the time. Every month um, I'm reading books. And I'm so frustrated by books that are not reader friendly, that don't open flat, that are hard at the page, the the weight of the paper isn't good. Maybe the page numbers are off. Yeah, may, maybe it's just poorly yeah. uh, formatted. Formatted yeah. inside, and so, uh, I, so I have InDesign, which is a uh, uh, Adobe program that pretty much everyone uses to mm. make books, and so uh, this is something that I'm just going to be chipping away at on the side, various, uh, book projects. But the cool thing is you can find books that are in public domain or books that have, uh, maybe no one is publishing. It's just out of print. And as a Christian who's, we're trying to, uh, retrieve a lot of, uh, reformation era books or even like early church fathers types of, there's yeah. so many books that I read about, like they get footnoted and I think, Oh, I would love to actually read the original source. I go on Amazon, so I was looking up like Peter Lombard's sentences, which is like one of the most famous scholastic. Yeah, like, and there, I think there's only like one version of it in English that you can buy on Amazon, and it's extremely expensive. And uh, I think about if you can take some of these classic works and bind them, format them nicely. Uh, that's something that I would buy myself. So basically, I. I I want to just make stuff that I would want to own and read, and um, I think this is something that, with the technical know-how, you you can figure this stuff out. Yeah. Um, All right. Up next, what did you? What was your last one?
1: Gotta find it in here. Oh, the shipwright. The shipwright. So I chose the shipwright not because I thought, oh, this is a trade that people should do, but just because it fascinated me. Because we don't think often. Especially in our modernized, heavily, you know, heavily automated, that people actually have to make these things. Yeah. Like, especially, um, you know, even these giant ironclads or these naval ships, like Mm -hmm. people, people design them, right? And they put them together. And sure, yeah, maybe a lot of that is automated to a certain extent. You know, factory is making these parts, whatever. But, but, um, it just kind of, I don't know, hit me with like a wave of nostalgia. Like, what would it have been like to be an old timey shipwright whose job was to take a bunch of lumber to talk to the sawyer and to turn it into a ship? Yeah. It's just amazing. I don't know. And just to think that um,
0: it's like art.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to think that people can still make a living doing something like that yeah. is super cool. Yeah. So I don't have anything positive to contribute in terms it was of just like just a
0: total emotional <laughs> choice. <laughs> it um, was this I was is led cool. by my passions. I yeah. was not ruling my big fat belly. No, this is what this is what honorable mentions is all about, right? <laughs> just just yeah. pick ones that you that you like, that m- make you interested or or dream up. Uh, I recently watched Ford V Ferrari and they pit uh, Ford as these, you know, uh, machines made in the factory by all these workers with Ferrari where everything mm. is handmade and they it's they make so few of them they're pursuing perfection and yeah. then, and then they duel. Uh, so it was just one of those uh, differences between these Americans in Detroit in their factories and these Italians in uh, in Italy yeah. uh, building them all all by hand and those are and they're creating two very different. Different products. So he he says one more thing, just you know,
1: kind of because you can think again, shipbuilding, like shipwright, like what? I'm not gonna build a ship. But he says, um, he remains an indispensable component of commerce and industry. You think about how many, you know, how much how much stuff is shipped overseas, yeah, you know, um, like we still do that often. Uh and he says, while well, the methods used today are vastly different from those in centuries past, shipbuilding can be a high-paying profession. Marine engineers and naval architects earn over 90000 per year on average. Wow. Which, yeah, you never would have thought, like, get paid to make both. So it's also, I think, this cool idea of if, you, if you've if you got something that you love, say you're you're into sailing, right, but you also have other technical know-how, you can build stuff. Yeah. You can really start to connect your skills and make them work together for you. All it takes is, uh,
0: like Wiley says, was about a capital idea, a little bit of imagination. Yeah, the capital will come, come find you if you got a, a yeah. good idea. You know, <clears throat> bringing up ships, I'm gonna tell oh, a wow. ship a, a story about when I had the police called on me once upon a time. So I was in, I was probably in high school, <clears throat> and my sister, and I think my sister's boyfriend at the time, and another neighbor kid of mine we were at this place in Washington called Point No Point. And so where I grew up in, which is actually like a naval shipyard, like naval shipyard is in Bremerton where we have our nuclear submarines or one of the the places where they're serviced. And so military town. Anyways, so the place that you would go, if you want to go, we would skimboard. Or if you're going to go to the beach in Washington, you can go out to this place called Point No Point. And uh, so we're on the beach and for some reason, I was like looking. I was just exploring, and I looked like kind of into the woods, and I saw there is like a boat, or it's like some old, old wood boat or something in In the water. No, in the woods, in the woods, on its uh, back front. Yeah. So, so it's (laughs) it's face. It's face down. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, this must be just some abandoned boat in here. So, I said, hey guys, let's like take this out into the water. So. All, all four of us, you know, we get in there, we lift it up, this big heavy thing, and we get it into the water, and we're, you know, we're just kids playing around, and so we just go out into the water, and in, in this boat are just kind of having fun, put, putzing around. The next thing I know, I see someone yelling at us. He's got binoculars. He's yelling at us, saying he's called the police that he, he thinks like we've stolen this boat, <laughs> your so <we're> pirates, pirates. <laughs> uh, Apparently, I think it was either his or his neighbors, oh. and he was like, "You need to put that back right now." So it was, it was one of those. Yeah, you went into your your neighbor's yard. The dog started barking, and yep. then they're like, we're, "It was going to get you." <laughs> so, except in this case, it was a boat, and we were on. I guess I thought we were on public property, but wow. <clears throat> apparently, this was someone's. Did you uh, go to jail? Uh, so I I did I did a bid for about twelve years. I was <laughs> no I, I uh, my heart was pounding and we, we just returned it and then we're like we need to get out of here uh, before the police come. So no 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 charges uh, that I'm aware of were, were ever filed. You're no longer welcome back. Yeah. So Amazon. it was just an empty threat. If I was a true pirate, I would have just said you know, Yarg. come get it. That's right. <laughs> you just sailed away. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the last, uh, the last trade that, that I have here is the physician. And I don't have a ton to say about this, except that uh, we need more Christian physicians. Yeah. And I think medicine is one of those places that is a, a great almost ministry field yeah. for Christians to work, whether it's on the abortion thing or the gender thing or, or, in, or even in just like, uh, if if Christians have the truth about the body, mm-hmm. we should be at the forefront of totally. healing the body. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately God is the healer, but I would like to see more and more Christians take this on. And I just wanted to spotlight. So, that, like the doctor we have, Dr. Do- uh, story, so he, he did not want to go along. He worked in a hospital and- uh, right here in in Moscow, or it was a Pullman Regional Hospital, yeah. maybe, um, and they were wanted. They had, a, they had a guy who's wanted to do transgender surgeries at this hospital, and so uh, Rod just said, "No, like I'm not going to to be a part of this." And then he was kind of like ousted, shooed, yeah. yeah. So what he ended up doing, he t- took a big a leap of faith and started a direct primary care. Uh, Center clinic, yeah, clinic, uh, where he has pretty much complete control mm. over um, his patients. What he can, do. I guess there are there are certain restrictions, but he has a lot more freedom, right? Freedom of conscience to do medicine uh, in a way that he um, isn't having that conscience being being violated. Mm. And I appreciate going to the doctor and knowing, like, he's a Christian. We go to the same church. I see him on Sundays. Um, He's easily accessible. I'd, like someone that you're gonna like take all your clothes off in front of, or someone who is knowing like you know intimate details about your personal health. I uh, some people do like a stranger because it feels more like s- sterile, separated. separated. Yeah. But like the, more and more, because I know their atheistic presuppositions, I'm less comfortable giving getting advice about my body from someone who doesn't even think like a child in the womb is a human person or, that or a boy can be a girl. Yeah. So it's like, if you can't do your ABCs, your one, two, threes as a, as a doctor, yeah. which a, a lot of doctors, you know, riding that woke train are going like, I don't trust you right. with personal details about my life. And so we're one of the, one of the huge blessings being in Moscow is that now, it's not just him. He's hired other Christian doctors, right? Who who work with him to the point. I think they maybe have four, three or four. They have like a nurse practitioner, a couple doctors, and stuff. Three
1: doctors, one nurse practitioner. Yeah. So
0: they're they're actually creating jobs, creating an economy, and offering a really great service uh, for people who want that kind of that level of care. So, uh, yeah, and he prays for you. Like, in what other place, like,
1: can you go in for your doctor's appointment? And then he says, "Hey, can I? What can I pray for you about?" Yeah. And you're like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it it just struck me the first time I went. So I think you're right. Something we definitely need more of.
0: Yeah. I remember when Ellen and I got engaged and we were talking about, you know, different forms of contraception and the mm-hmm. pill and natural family planning. And so uh, having not ever really researched all of that, all of that stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, there he comes.
0: I uh, <laughs> Sean has always wanted to. I to, am a durable tree. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is our final episode mm-hmm. of this book, so this it, this is okay for you to come crash.
1: Oh, okay. So, we were talking about a Dr. doctor story. story. How great he was. We need more Christian oh, physicians. He is
0: great. He takes his time, and he's awesome and wise. I was I was telling the story about how he uh, uh, gave us the talk about the pill. Oh. and how he th- how he th- he believes the pill is actually a board of fashion which oh, yeah. Yeah. uh i which i had read stuff on the internet that from like catholics and stuff they were like we don't actually think it is so uh, him just like walking through here's what it does to the woman's cycle and her hormones and stuff right. it, i i kind i kind of went away from there being like oh hmm. um that's that's pretty pretty serious that i i like, everyone does this. Like, m- m- a lot of Christian women. They do it to the regulate
1: pill. their period. Like, it's yeah. not even, in their mind, they're thinking it's not this big of a deal, but it actually, the changes it does to your body are yeah. significant.
0: So that's just one example of something that I appreciated from my Christian <laughs> doctor and a <laughs> goodbye, sh- <and> goodbye shot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where were we? No. So now, <clears throat> do we have any more things to say about our honorable mentions?
0: No, just, close, just closing thoughts closing on this thoughts. book, Jacob. What, what would you say was just your one biggest, takeaway or appreciation from, from this book?
1: Biggest takeaway slash appreciation from the book. Um, hmm, it can go a couple directions with this, but I did appreciate how it was something that, you know, he put his money where his mouth was, right? I mean, he himself said, I'm going to take a step away from my big tech corporate, you know, m- job, yeah. vocation to explore something that we've lost. Um, and and really say what, and really ask the question: What is actually durable? What is going to last? What is more certain? Um, you know, um, so that you're never in a situation like in Psalm 11. If the foundations are destroyed, what, do the, what can the righteous do? He said, "No, I'm going to examine these foundations of our economy yeah. and come up with some observations." So I really appreciated that. Uh, obviously, you could you could go into more detail about you know, he, as he talks about in the end, the theology of work, the dignity of work. But uh, overall, I think just that he, um, it's a very clearly a project of personal investment to him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think just adds to the ethos of, of what he's done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think probably the biggest, um, eye opener to me was just that there are all these jobs, Mm. trades that exist that, are um, well-paying, uh, family-centered, durable—that I just did not even know existed. Yeah. So I, I think if I had read this book in, say, high school when I was thinking about, so everyone's like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Or you're you're going to college. What are you going to do after you graduate?
1: Right.
0: <clears throat> I think this is a book that's just worth giving new ideas to people of like what is possible, what opportunities are there because we're, we're limited by what we know by our knowledge. And so I just appreciated the expansive research and knowledge to go and give people new just possibilities and and opportunities. Um, And and then I would just say maybe like one critique as I've just, you know, reflected on this book is uh, I remember in the challenge ahead chapter, how we kind of just shows here's how bad things are. Here is all the cracks and the foundation. And I guess my one question would be, there are uh, you can be highly selective with data and with statistics, right. And you can kind of do you can prove whatever you want to prove. Like you can make facts fit your narrative, right? that we we just know this. Hmm. And I would be interested. Um, Because I know there's some other books that are out there on actually how the world is getting a lot better. Right. (laughs) Right. So Uh, what is that fossil fuels book, Um, the case for fossil fuels
1: or something like that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think there are certain, uh, so we talked about this, or at least we tried to frame it as there are trade-offs that we have made. And we we just want to say, is the cost benefit worth it? I would have maybe liked to see a little more expansion on not just here's all the problems, but here are why we keep doing this because we're, we are getting something, yeah. right? And, and you see this in just the cost of food, right. right? We're saying the amount of our budget that goes to food now is way lower than it's ever been. And, and right. that's a great blessing uh, on the financial point. But we would also then ask the question, what about like the quality of the food? Is it part of why we're sicker and, and, things, and things like that? Uh, so that would be my one, maybe I would have liked that to be shored up some.
1: Yeah, I think it's connected into maybe an ass- uh, a hidden, well, not so hidden <laughs> assumption that I do think would be worth pushing on. As he presents the industrial revolution in a m- mostly negative light yeah. to the point where, um, you know, we're, we are precluded from asking the question well, is automation actually a bad thing? Is it a good thing that, say, for example, these, you know, these assembly lines are no longer practically like work monkeys. Yeah. Um, now replaced by robots or truck drivers. These, these jobs that, that are not <coughs> that, you know, no one wants to do, but they need to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, being shifted from human beings created with, in the image of God to machines. Yeah. Um, it's, I think to, kind of tying into your point, sometimes, uh, he doesn't ask the question in terms of what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, oh no, this is what this is taken away from us. Yeah. Uh, but you you never get the sense that like we, well actually this is taking us. And yes, it can be used wrongly, and there are some things that you that are bad about this. Yeah. But it's almost like Pastor Doug's uh, point about food. Yeah, like GMOs. GMOs. Like, wait, why is this a bad thing? If we can make our if we can make our vegetables taste like meat. <laughs> yeah. Right or that sort of thing um basically or um what what else was it like the fact that you've got a cell phone in your pocket like yeah. yes there are, there's a, there's snares of of shortcutting wisdom because you don't have to do yeah. the, the illusion of knowledge right but that doesn't mean that. The advancement in itself is is wrong. And I feel like sometimes he would lean towards that, well, we just need to kind of get back to a state of nature right um in the way he was presenting it,
0: basically needs more post mill mm. right to to be able to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now, it's being used to undermine the family, which we should all be deeply concerned right. about, that yeah. our economies are fragile to people who hate Christ and his gospel and the and the church. Yeah. so I think, that a lot of people need to wake up to that as people oh. are getting fired and doxed and stuff like that. Or mm. you've seen just with gab, like all these Back. banks that keep continuing to shut yeah. them down and they're not, unable. So it's like you, you try to do to build something and people are coming, coming after you. And so I think this, this year has been a wake up call. I hope yeah. uh, for a lot of Christians to, to pursue something um, that is, family center that is recovering, mm-hmm. that sense of the family as a place of discipleship. So, not exporting your kids to the youth group or to the mm-hmm. church or to the Sunday school. But, and that's what he talks about at the very end is like, our work is one of the primary places where discipleship happens. And mm-hmm. if we are saying we want covenantally faithful children, uh, it's, at, it's at least worth asking, is, is my lifestyle is my job the kind of thing that allows me to spend a lot of time with my children to disciple them? Um, Or um, am I, am I far away from them Hmm. all all the time? So yeah, it's good. Well, okay. Up next, we're going to be reading Joe Rigney's book, More Than a Battle. Uh, Next week is spring break. I'll be out of town. Uh, I'll be doing something. Yeah. You'll be, who who knows (laughs) knows knows what you'll be be. doing. When are you getting married? June 5th. June 5th. So less than three months. So up. when you get married, are you gonna stop doing this
1: podcast with me? <laughs> <laughs> no, we just may not be able to do it during the day. Yeah, because I'm because I'm getting a corporate job. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that a durable trade that you work co- about? See, that was the thing. We can, we, can we even talk about this? No, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Maybe not. No, I think uh, that was that was a question that I did have for the. Uh, it's related to what I've said about my potential critique is. Seems like Groves would have a negative mindset towards any kind of desk job, which granted a lot of our authors, I think would have a negative mindset towards a desk job or corporate job with a certain, with a particular kind of attitude about it, Mm -hmm. right? That it's like this easy shortcut to safety, security, whatever. Anyway.
0: And that's what you're, that's the, you're taking the shortcut to easy security. Boom. No, basically it's like I'm getting married and I need to provide for a wife.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to edit this out. No, just kidding. Um... So what are we talking about? Oh, oh, just oh, will we will well, we your, continue your to do job this? or yeah. like
0: this podcast? Yeah,
1: will I still be able to do the podcast?
0: Um, Yeah, I want to. We hope so. We have. Uh, who are you going to replace me with, Sean? Definitely not. Sean, <laughs> Sean won't do it. He doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't like being on the mic. Okay, uh, uh, Jacob. What should people do this week and the next week while we uh, are away? <laughs> okay. Should I say it twice? Yeah. Uh, whatever you do this week or next week, make
1: sure that you get that wisdom, you build that house, you rule that big fat belly, and you stack dollars for your Grand Cherries. Grand Cherries.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and also Get More Than a Battle by Joe Rigney. Oh, yeah. Buy it.
1: Buy it. I'm sure there's other Amazon deals for it. There was for Yeah, I think there is if m-
0: multiple copies. Anyways, buy it so you can read it along with us.
1: Okay, Bye.